What does it mean to be a real, quote, real Christian? How do you know if you are one? Do Christians all agree about the deep down essentials of our faith? We're gonna be talking about all of that and more on today's episode of Theology On Air. Welcome back to Theology On Air. I'm Sarah Stone, Outreach Director for Young Adults at Memorial Drive Presbyterian Church. And today I'm actually your host. Um, as many of you know, this radio show and podcast was born out of our event called Theology on Tap. It happens here in Houston for young adults. And the leadership team for Theology on Tap is made up of pastors and professors with really a diverse spectrum of beliefs within Christianity. But we take pride in the fact that we can disagree charitably about the non-essentials, but we can agree about the basics. That we all love Jesus. But what does that really mean when we say that? What is the gospel and do we actually agree? Um, it's funny, if Theology on Tap leadership was a continuum of conservative to progressive, we may have found the ends of the continuum for today's talk. I don't know. We'll find out. I'm joined today by Evan McClanahan, who's pastor of First Lutheran. And then we have another Lutheran, Ashley Della Giacoma, pastor of Kindred in Montrose. That's actually where Theology on Tap meets. Uh, of course, I'm Sarah Stone. I'm not a Lutheran. Um, they may be different brands of Lutheran? I don't know. They'll explain that, I'm sure. Um, and just a reminder, if you're listening to this on radio, KPFT is listener-supported community radio. That means that we can do this without annoying commercials. So if you enjoy this and you want it to stay commercial-free, um, consider giving a little bit of money to keep that going. Just go to kpft.org to learn more about giving and, of course, mention Theology on Air because we want some love from them. So uh, without further ado, I'm going to let you guys take over. I'm going to ask you each to take, I don't know, five, six minutes and just answer this question. Um, this is part two of a podcast series about what is a quote, real Christian? Um, what does it mean to be a Christian? What's not a Christian? How do we know what a Christian is? Um, and so uh, you'll have to check out part one to hear about justification with Paul Sloan. And, um, but today I want to hear each of you kind of give your five, six minute summation of what you think that means and then we'll just break it down from there uh ashley do you want to go first sure thing awesome. uh so yeah regarding our different brands of lutheran <laughs> i guess our traditions uh i'm ordained in the evangelical lutheran church in america and um what is real christian quote unquote real christianity right um I think like any other word that ends in ITY, all these idiots like curiosity and religiosity and complexity, it describes a way of being, the nature of our being, the character of a thing. So for Christianity, to me, it means a way of being that's anchored and directed in Christ, which is to say to follow Christ in the particular way of being revealed through them. Um, indeed, before the word Christian right even came into being, the people were called followers of the way. Right now, I want to come back to um, what I understand that way to be in a little bit, but I often find it more helpful to speak about something, what something isn't that helps me understand and sort of yeah. clarify. So I would say that being a follower of the way is different than a set of intellectual arguments 
that we agree to, or even a set of beliefs or doctrines. It's true that the Christian faith has created such lists, right? We have the creeds, and we continue to create all kinds of I believe statements, both explicitly and implicitly, I think, mm. that we use to flesh out how we understand what that central heartbeat is. But Christianity also existed for a few hundred years without those uniform lists, right? Or, or the way that we've manipulated them to serve as a litmus test of purity in terms of faith. So I would say that Christianity is a confessional way of being in that being anchored and directed in Christ is to confess singularly that Jesus Christ is Lord. Not because that set of words has particular magic power, right? But the heart of those words is to say that I throw my lot into Christ's being above mm. all else. I lean into the mystery of a reconciling and revolutionary God intertwined with humanity. And scripture says that the only way that we even come to that position is a gift of the Holy Spirit. So it's still not something that I can really pat myself on the back for or boast about <laughs> as if I've reached some level of enlightenment or favor of, uh, that others are excluded from. Mm -hmm. So saying that I'm Christian, that I'm a follower of Christ, um, and acknowledge that I only come to these words by the grace of God removes me from any of that moral high horse that I might be tempted to jump on mm -hmm. in the name of faith. Nor do I think that Christianity is the same as salvation, the imparting of God's undeserved or irrevocable love for each and every one of us, every hair on our heads. But Christianity is what leads me into a deeper relationship with God and my neighbor and myself and all of creation. It does all of that, but it still doesn't save us. Jesus Christ has saved us and redeems all of creation. So that's what the heart of Christ found through this way of being means to me that it's not about me so if christianity is about following the way of christ to follow in the manner of jesus i think it would point to anyone who claims the name of christian seeking to imitate or align with that way to embody that as we're able so if we truly hold christ at the center christ's gospel flows into our lives and our actions it affects how we spend our money, how we speak to ourselves and to one another, how we make decisions, how we engage in society. So yeah, how we vote and politic, how we, what we do with our bodies, how we spend our time and energy. Jesus says, you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And we sing, they will know we are Christians by our love, right? And this kind of love is not just a sentiment, but an action, right? So if our partner says, I love you, I love you, but then doesn't act like a partner, that's not love, mm -hmm. right? Our actions don't save us, but they do reflect what we truly love, what we hold dear, who we trust, and what ultimately guides us. Which I think is why, you know, the timing of this is really interesting, why so many Christians are enraged at the side of a president who holds the symbols of this way, 
mm-hmm. as a superficial means to co-opt its power while feeding our nation's original sin of r- racism and its systemic poison and otherwise functioning in a way that's overtly and unrepentantly contrary to the ways of Jesus, the Prince of Peace, the liberator of the oppressed, the healer of the brokenhearted, right? So when what's in our hearts certainly matters. But to say that no one knows what's really in their hearts when someone is showing it with their mm-hmm. actions is to avoid accountability of faith and excuse sacrilegious behavior and reveal our ultimate allegiance to a person or another ideology over the gospel. Maya Angelou wrote, uh, when someone shows you who they really are, believe them the first time, mm-hmm. right? So to say that Christianity stems first from our heart, a heart and a heeding for the way of Christ, which flows into action that seeks to align ourselves with the way of Christ is not the same thing as requiring certainty or perfection. I mean, we just have to look at the disciples, right? They stepped in it and missed the mark again and again, but they were drawn back to their teacher to shape them along the way. So to follow this way of being is to be attuned to the voice of the good shepherd. Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. Take up your cross and follow me. And if you hold to my teachings, if you abide in them, tend to them, find your rootedness in them, you are my disciples, my followers. So I just want to finish out by saying, right, what is this way then that I keep sort of like dancing around? What is the nature of Christ, of God that we see revealed in scripture and in our hearts? And I see the way of Christ as one that is marked by mercy and justice for the oppressed, and tangible care for the vulnerable, compassion, peace, joy, wholeness, healing, relationship, connectedness, fidelity, humility, truth-telling, especially in the face of power, reconciliation, generosity, but above all these, love, right? A love that will stand in the face of death-dealing empires and follow us to the grave and back. So the things that echo that nature or what resonate with me as Christianity. Okay. Uh, before we switch over to Evan, I just want to say, Ashley, there's a little bit of crackling with your mic. So if you're doing anything to touch whatever, wherever your mic is in the screen, or maybe, I don't know, maybe stay a little bit further back. I don't know. I'm no, yeah, I, I think, I think my booming preacher voice just got going and probably amped well, it up. I like your booming preacher voice. So uh, Evan, she went for something like seven-ish minutes. So I'll give you the same to kind of tee us up to your way of thinking, and then we'll take it from there. Okay, just bring out the shepherd's crook if you need to drag me off stage. But um, okay, well, okay, what is real Christianity? Um, Well, in a sermon to the Ephesian elders, the Apostle Paul in Acts 20, uh, he says this, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So I think what Paul is saying there in those verses is that what makes him innocent of the blood of others is that he effectively did his job. He Mm -hmm. proclaimed the gospel, and what he says is he proclaimed the whole counsel of God, which, of course, when Paul was doing that meant, He only had the Old Testament as the New Testament was not yet written. 
But in no way did he compromise the message, right? He didn't just include the convenient bits or the, as we might say, the politically correct bits. Um, you know, he, he didn't uh, out, you know, get rid of the challenging bits. It was the whole counsel of God. And in that way, he was innocent uh, of their guilt if they were to, say, fall away from the faith, which is what he predicts in Acts 20. Indeed, the only ways we see in Ezekiel 33 that a teacher of God's word, frightening for us, can avoid judgment from God is by not fulfilling their duties. Um, it, it's really then precisely to teach all of God's word. I think then a significant problem in the church today, uh, particularly in the mainline churches, which is the you know, tradition I come out of, I was also ordained in the ELCA. I've left the, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. I'm now in the North American Lutheran Church. Um, but you see this as well, I think, in a lot of parts of the Roman Catholic Church, is that what's called Christianity isn't always the whole counsel of God. So that's mm. kind of really the debate. Like, what is the whole counsel of God? Is that still our aim? What does that look like? Often, what we call Christianity resembles a more carefully packaged assortment of teachings that's sort of designed for a particular audience. Might be a liberal audience, might be a conservative audience, might be a progressive audience, uh, or something to that effect. Might be a consumerist audience. That's clearly an issue in the evangelical churches. But what is often called the gospel is really only um, a portion, I think, of, of the gospel, if the gospel is the whole counsel of God. In Lutheran circles, Lutheran circles, excuse me, in <laughs> Lutheran circles, what often happens is that the gospel is pitted against the law, because in our tradition, we see the, the Bible through this hermeneutic of law and gospel. We instantly sort of believe the law is bad, the gospel's good. Law is curse, gospel's answer. And actually, I think if you read the Bible, what you find is that mm -hmm. followers of God love the law, seek to be obedient to the law. We don't pit these things against one another. They are different. They're distinct. They have different roles in the kingdom and ministrations of God. But what often happens is this sort of gospel's better than law. That message gets sort of taught in the ivory towers, gets proclaimed through pulpits for, you know, dozens and dozens of years. And then wouldn't you know it, the law then is rarely, if ever, lifted up as equally as good as the gospel. And in fact, it's usually thought to be something bad you know, that we need the gospel to, to save us from, which, of course, I agree with that in a sense, but in another sense, I think it's what we're missing because it's, we're not preaching the whole council. I would also argue that while the law can't accomplish what the gospel does, and that one function of the law is that it condemns, um, it is I interrupt you. I'm so yeah. sorry to interrupt your first statement, but can you yeah. really quick, when you say law, if we have people listening that don't know what you mean when you say that, can you just, what do you mean when you say law? Do you mean like 10 commandments? Um, well, I'd start with the Ten Commandments for sure, but I would also, um, you know, and I would not include any ceremonial aspect of Old Testament law. But then I think we have other work to do where we kind of want to say, all right, you know, if you look at something like homosexuality, all right, big issue in the church today, you have to take that issue and you have to say, well, is that addressed in the Ten Commandments? Is the Ten Commandments the only law we would look at? Or are there other moral laws of the Old and New Testament that cross that divide and so on and so forth. So Okay, so just Old Testament moral laws that you're putting together and calling the law. I just wanted, okay. For the okay. most part, because it's also hard sometimes to distinguish between civil laws mm -hmm. and moral laws, right? I mean, something is wrong civically because it's wrong morally, right? Yeah, so, sorry yeah, to interrupt. We, Please no, no, no. I just wanted yeah, to. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what, what I think that we would want to do as a church is not only kind of only ever provide comfort this is going to sound harsh, but comfort to people who are 
burdened by the law, but don't we also want to build up the body, right? And preach the goodness and beauty of the law. That's, I'm emphasizing it because that's, of course, what I think is sort of missing. So real Christianity, I think, is trying to know who God is in his totality. Um, and actually, I agree with, I should say, with a lot of what, you know, um, um, Ashley said earlier. Um, we'll kind of have to ferret out where we, might, where we might disagree. But let me kind of draw it to a close and say, let me, here are some things that I think you would tend to hear in, I guess, real Christianity, right? Or a real Christian sermon, right? using air quotes, y'all, that are listening. I'm using air quotes because that's all debatable. But I would say, look, you know, you're going to hear the proclamation of the gospel. And by that, I mean the death of Christ. This is my definition. The death of Christ for the forgiveness of your personal sins and the promise uh, of eternal life for you and also the cosmic benefits of the gospel, like the whole creation being restored and uh, judged. You'll hear the word repent. That's not a word maybe you hear very much. You'll hear exhortation, which is what you see in Paul's letters after the proclamation of the good news. And you'll see a complete harmony, uh, a total harmony between the Old and the New Testaments in terms of the work and the character and the nature of God. What I'm afraid that we often hear in a less full, not whole counsel of God sort of situation would be the gospel becomes a social gospel or what you might call gospel reductionism. Um, you hear moralism. This is conservative or liberal, but, you know, kind of pet evils being the only evils that really matter. I also hear sometimes it seems like, pit, you know, parts of the Bible are pitted against one another, mm -hmm. and even God is pitted against himself. Um, so it's like, well, yeah, the Old Testament this, but in the New Testament, and sometimes in many ways that's very appropriate, but in other times it's not. Mm -hmm. You have to you have to be able to distinguish between when that's appropriate and when it's not. And that's why the question of the loss is, is so complicated, I think. Let me end with a quote by Richard Niebuhr. I come out of a liberal tradition, so that's kind of where I think the shortcomings are. If I came out of an independent Baptist fundamentalist tradition, that would be, you know, my boogeyman or what have you. But I do come out of a more liberal tradition. And a very famous quote by H. Richard Niebuhr, he's sort of summarizing where theological liberalism can or has ended up. And he says this, a God without wrath brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. Bonhoeffer called it cheap grace. And so really, I think that's kind of the debate today is when we look at real Christianity, you know, what is it? You know, what, what's missing? And, and that's kind of where I would land. I love that you both had a quote at the end of your uh, statements. These are pastors, guys. They have like a little formula. No, I'm kidding. I love it. I, pull, I pulled out my Bartlett's quotation book. It was right there. So, yeah. <laughs> so both of you um, said things that I think people would agree and disagree with, but you both spoke as if you know what it is to be a real Christian, partly because you're living it, partly because you're studying it. But who really gets to say that? Like who... Who gets to say what real Christianity is? What are we appealing to? Are we saying like, if we follow X, Y, Z rules, is there an authority on it? Do we go to experts? Like, are you guys the experts? Do you have experts? Like, who gets to say and why? And also, I mean, feel free to react to what each other said, but. I mean, having spent years in study, part of me is just like, well, obviously me, right? Like, clearly, I can see it a multitude of ways in some ways it's hard to say that someone could speak knowledgeably about a thing that they're not familiar with. 
whether something is or isn't that thing, right? If if it's not something that like you've studied or or had much of a relationship with, at the same time, I know that like we as a church uh, get a fair amount of criticism from folks who say, you know, I think I could like your Jesus, but I don't know so much about your Christians, mm-hmm. right? Or like that, what what I do know of Jesus, this doesn't line up, like this doesn't sound of Christ to me. And I can't say that their experience is less authoritative entirely. I can't just dismiss that as, well, you don't really know what Christ is, so. Okay, so you would say that there's something biblical and something experiential that lets you know, sort of at your core, what Christianity is? Yes and no. Yes and no, like a good Lutheran. I think you're exactly right that a lot of people have this experience with like, I like, you know, the team captain, but the players suck. Like the Christians are hypocrites. Um, And I agree that that's their experience, but we also know that that doesn't make Christianity any more or less true. Like all Christians could be terrible people. It doesn't take away from the fact that Jesus died on the cross, that he really lived, he really died, he really came back. So I guess my question is like, what's the standard to which we're looking to see what Christianity is. Yeah. And I mean, I guess to clarify on that is just like, yeah, someone who maybe doesn't go to church or or Bible study or have studied scripture necessarily, if they experience someone says that doesn't sound Christian to me from what I know of Christian, that doesn't mean that they have less authority than a person who does go to Bible study Hmm. on, on not whether Christianity is true, but whether or not something is Christian. Oh, I see the distinction. Okay. Okay. Evan, do you want to kind of speak to that? Yeah, I mean, I really do think it's a, it is a key question in, in, a, in a conversation like this. Um, you know, kind of who, who gets to say? Well, I mean, ultimately, I would say the Bible gets to say. And I, you know, if you look at the, the Reformation battles, I mean, that was a key one with, with our arguments with Rome. Um, you know, they wanted to lift up the tradition alongside, you know, Scripture as an equally valid authority and still would to this day. Likewise, other traditions would lift up also experience uh, in addition to the scripture. And, and I, would, I would fall really in the camp of scripture alone uh, because it's the only thing that is said to be God-breathed. And I believe that, you know, the scripture has been handed down and preserved, you know, for Christ and his church, uh, or really I should say for Christ's church. Um, and so I think, I think the Bible has to say, so then the question is, well, who interpreted the Bible correctly? And so that's just the ongoing work that we have to do. We have to, so you have certain standards for, for what is a proper exegesis or interpretation or hermeneutic or method of interpretation, the Bible or interpreting the Bible. So for example, I might say, for example, that, um, that uh, if, if someone is interpreting the Bible in an inconsistent way, then that may not be the right interpretation. And one of the things that happens a lot is that people will argue against this text in this way, but then they'll argue against or for a text in this way. You see this with, uh, say, Jehovah's Witnesses, for example. They argue against a rendering of a Greek phrase, and then 12 sentences later in the Gospel of John, I think John 1, 1, and John 1, 14, they same kind of language in the Greek, and they use it in one and not in the other. And yeah. you don't get to do that when you... Well, when you he was like, sued for not for admitting that he didn't even know how to read or interpret Greek, but... Yeah. Uh, So Ashley said something in her initial um, thoughts that I love. She said something about being a Christian means that you're, I wrote this down, anchored in and directed by Christ. She also said that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
Um, and if you take those things, and I know that Evan agrees with what I'm about to say, it seems like being a Christian has a lot to do with knowing Christ. So then I guess the question becomes, how do you know Christ? Like if, <clears throat> excuse me, and this is maybe where we ask the question, like, what is the gospel? Because the gospel is the good news about who? Christ. The Christ is Lord, that he's king. So how do we know about him? How do we learn about him? Um, I'm sort of the same question as the last one, but I think a lot of people want to say a lot of things about Jesus that aren't necessarily true. Where do you, how do you figure out about who Jesus is and what he wants from you? You know, I think Evan, Evan had a really good point about law and gospel in that they get separated in ways that that whole witness and part of which is who is Christ, right? If we truly believe that Christ is at the beginning and end, right? The Alpha and the Omega from the beginning of creation through the incarnation and into the resurrection and beyond, right? Like, we also have to look for Christ in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament, right? And, and I loved, um, I remember several years ago, I heard sort of a bit of prose that said, the Bible is not a series of disconnected stories. Mm -hmm. It is a single narrative that points to one who is true and greater, right? So understanding Moses helps us to understand the new Moses. Understanding David helps us to understand the new David. Um, and in the same way, you know, we who are Trinitarian folks believing that God is creator, redeemer, and sustainer, um, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, whatever names you use for that, um, that those are throughout creation and not just a particular time period. So I think in order to know Christ, we look, um, we have to look at the whole of who God is, right? We say Christ, but if we believe that Christ is God, and we also have to look at the whole of who God is. Yeah, agreed. And then, so we get that from presumably the Bible. Is that right? I, I think the Bible has to be a really core piece. It's, it's this sacred story mm -hmm. um, with such power that it's, it's survived millennia. Yeah. Um, and the Holy Spirit is what activates it and, and stirs us up and speaks even outside of it. So I think the scripture is really, really important. Um, but, but it's also not the only way in which we ever know Christ. Yeah. That's why I would encourage everyone who ever bought Jesus calling to, you know, use it for, for Firestarter or something. Um, because that author literally suggests that she is hearing directly from Christ and she's essentially writing sort of words given to her. I did not Christ realize and, that. Really? Oh yeah. I was yeah the Jesus only person that didn't like that book. Okay. Yeah, no, Jesus Calling. I mean, I, I read the introduction. Someone gave it to my wife and I slowly like hid it from her. I'm like, no, you don't oh, need gosh. to read that. Just read, just read, you know, Luke or something. Um, yeah, I think, I think that ultimately, you know, the, the beauty of the Bible and the beauty of Christ is that, it, you know, you never outgrow it. It only, it only grows deeper and deeper and our knowledge of Christ grows deeper. I mean, I do think that an active prayer life and worship life is, is important. You know, for us, we believe Christ is present in the Lord's Supper. Um, so, you know, there is communion with Christ. Christ is living. Christ is alive. Um, but ultimately, you know, it does kind of come back to the Bible. I think about, you know, there's a question about kind of, we talked before about like, what does it mean to be a Christian versus a disciple? And 
when you look at, say, the Great Commission, you know, Matthew 28, 19, you know, go to all the nations and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit and teach everything that I have commanded you. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to teach everything that he commanded you? What, 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 what should we leave out of that? Um, would, it, would it include the law? And what kind of law? Some people would make the argument, for example, that we should assume that much of the law, except for the ceremonial, right? We clearly see ceremonial law come to an end. Uh, with uh, Peter being able to eat what he wants and no more need for sacrifice in the temple and the curtain is torn and all that sort of thing. But some people would say that the law should be assumed to continue unless it's explicitly rejected in the New Testament. And there are many times in which the New Testament authors quote from Old Testament law, like when Paul says, uh, do not uh, muzzle the ox. Well, that's, uh, that's Old Testament law that he's appealing to to say, you know, preachers should get paid, you know. Um, so, you know, the point is that um, so the question then is, well, who is this Christ? What was his standard? What was his authority, if, if you will? Um, and, and so therefore, I think the onus kind of is on us to, uh, in many ways, respect what came before. And one of, the, one of my issues in the church today is that it seems like we kind of have the opposite approach, that, that in, in Christ, we have a freedom to do things that you know, haven't been done before because there is such a radical love or such a revolutionary love or something to that effect that now Christianity ends up being a kind of um, philosophical or theological background or, or encouragement um, to something I don't know is, is even Christian anymore. Are you saying that some Christians, or people that claim to be Christian would use what we see in the Bible and what we see about Christ as sort of the starting point for a trajectory. And then they'll take that and kind of go where they want based on their own kind of ideas and desires and not necessarily what Christ taught. Yes. I, and it, 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 you know, like, like Ashley, for example, says, um, you know, that love, love above all. Mm -hmm. Well, of course I agree with that. Mm -hmm. Jesus himself said that the greatest law is to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. But that is the law. It's the law. It's not the gospel. The gospel is distinct from the law. And so then the question is, well, what is the content of love? What are the boundaries of love? Mm. What, are the, what are the limits of love? Is love, um, does love mean always saying yes? Does, or does love mean speaking the truth? Mm. And what is our standard for truth? We keep coming back to this over and over again, right? Like, what's the standard? Like, what, what do we appeal to? And that's why I, I, I talked about the whole counsel of God is because as a, as a young pastor, I mean, I'm 40, but I realize I have so much to learn. I'm, I want to know, like, I want to know who God is. I, I want to know what the whole counsel of God is. And um, so that's kind of the, where, what I'm trying to figure out. Ashley, do you want to respond to any of that? I've got lots of questions, but. I mean, I, I just want to add and clarify, like, while scripture is, is so central to me as a Christian, it also points to our being created in the image of Christ um, and being the body of Christ. And so I think it is both faithful um, and appropriate to say that we experience and know Christ through one another, whether or not that's ever explicitly named, right? Say that again. We, we know Christ through one, say that one more time. Through one another. We okay. know and experience Christ through one another, right? Because, because Christ also says, you know, 
oh Lord, when did we see you? When did we see you? Oh, well, when I came to you as a hungry person, when I came to you as a person in in need, right? It's, it's, it's impossible for me to not see, um, you know, a crucified Christ in victims of state sponsored violence, right? Mm -hmm. Like that is, that is a one way that I know and experience Christ is in seeing it in flesh and blood in front of me. Mm. Um, we keep talking about, it's not quite esoteric, but we do keep talking about these kind of big ideas. And I've noticed a few phrases that, that are sort of um, mysterious or sound like something you get to after years of theology. But I'm wondering about just breaking it down to its most simple form. Uh, before both of you were on the leadership team for Theology on Tap, we did a Theology on Tap for about world religions. <clears throat> and we had a Muslim a Hindu, a Jewish rabbi, and a Christian up there kind of talking about what we believe and how we differ and whatever. And one of the questions that was texted in was, how would I convert to your religion if I wanted to? Um, and because people know that converting to Judaism is like this big deal because we see it in Hollywood or whatever. But the Muslim said, uh, my friend Saira Jelani said, you can do it right now. You can decide that right now. And I remember thinking, oh man, I wish we'd said that because that's true. You can choose right now. Even if you're listening to this podcast, you can choose right now to, to say yes to Jesus. So maybe can each of you just dial it down to its very core? Give me like a one or two sentence, like what is the gospel and how would I, if I'm listening to this podcast and I say, I want to be part of this thing you're talking about, like what would that actually look like? And I know this is a tall order. So what is the gospel in like one or two sentences, but also what does that look like going forward? Like what, What's sort of the proof of the pudding that I've done it right? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Go ahead, Ashley. Or, or I can go. But. I was going to say, he always says, go ahead, Ashley. It's because he's thinking. He wants time. No, no, I, I, no I'm, I'm happy. I don't want to do not that either. So. No, it's fine. I mean, for me, the gospel can boil down to God loves you. God's love is for you. There's nothing you can do about it. And it changes everything. What does that look like? going forward or what does that mean for like well, the before that, if so say i'm i'm joe schmo listening to this and i'm not religious at all or anything and i'm listening and i think i want to be part of this christianity thing okay i assent to the fact that god is for me that he loves me what do i do like do i pray do i have to acknowledge something do i have to say i agree with a certain thing or do i just like get on board with the god is awesome like what does it look like I'm not, I'm not trying to trap anybody. I'm really just trying to distill it. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't ultimately know, right? Like, wh like what is that switch that goes from being someone who's curious to being someone who's a follower? I don't know what that distinction is because, because for me, where I've seen people um, follow in Christianity is just to start to ask questions. Mm -hmm. that that's a place to start. And, you know, because, because I grew up in the church, but I can't tell you whenever I like became Christian, right? Sure. Seek I'm to learn and know and follow and put one step in front of the other and, and yeah. see what leads me. I mean, but you know, I, I don't have like pray this prayer sure. or, you know, do these five works or anything. And, and, and I don't, you know, I don't think Evan does either any of us at this table, mm -hmm. but um, I guess I may have missed, I may have been unclear in my question because I agree with you. We don't know when, you know, the scales sort of tip from being curious to being in and, and I don't have my like moment either, but 
I guess my question is, we talk about the gospel being good news. Good news about what? Like, was there bad news? Is there a problem? What is the problem? Do we have to understand that? That kind of thing. Like, I think the only reason the gospel could be good news is if there's a problem or a bad news to begin with. Otherwise, like, what, why is that a big deal? You know? Uh, Evan, do you want to, I'm going to come back to you, Ashley, because you didn't get to finish. But Evan, do you want to take a crack at this brief yeah. what is the gospel and how do you know? You're I want to show you, I want to show you my paper because it says the word problem right here. And so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I, I think before you can answer what the gospel is, you have to say, well, what is the problem? What's the, if the gospel is good news, what's the bad news? Yeah. And, and, well, it's, I'm an old fashioned Augustinian, you know, we're, we're born dead in sins and trespasses. We are in, in inveterate re- rebels against God. Too, so. Yeah. 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 Um, and so we um, were made in God's image and yet through sin, that image is broken. So we want reconciliation with God. I believe Romans one indicates we all have an immediate knowledge of God and that we suppress that knowledge of God in unrighteousness and we seek to live on our own terms. I mean, the, the, the sin of the Garden of Eden is that Adam and Eve sought to live on their own terms. They did not fully trust in the word of, in provision and promise of God. And so they wanted God to be maybe alongside of them, but they essentially wanted to steer the course. And, um, and so what is, what is needed? What is needed is that we lay down our arms against God, that we put down our weapons of war against God, that we put down our clenched fist, um, uh, uh, image used a lot these days, and I don't mean it for political purposes, but, you know, uh, we put down our clenched fence, uh, fist against God, and we trust, you know, and in Luke 24, uh, Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Repentance, that's, you know, uh, a word often missing, and it means to, to have a changed mind. So to someone listening, I would say, yes, you know, this is, a, this is something that I would call every human being. I don't know, I'm comfortable with the word decision, but um, I, would, I would call you to lay down your arms against God. Listen to the voice in your head that is saying you are rebelling against God mm-hmm. and trust in him. Trust that he has done everything needed for your provision in this earthly life. You know, give us this day our daily bread, but also that he's procured your salvation. Um, but the Bible does say, you know, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Um, so I think I would, I, w- I would be remiss if I didn't say that when we talk about the gospel, we are, I believe we are, we are talking about a spiritual force, a spiritual power. And it's the power of the spirit to change our heart from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. And that's that process of going from being an inveterate rebel against God to one who seeks to honor him with life. And then the question is, because I think Ashley would agree with everything I just said. Then the question is, what is the context and how do I know when I am being obedient to Christ as Lord? Um, that was going to be my next question, but I was going to let Ashley, because yeah. she got to answer sort of half of my question, not the whole thing. Did yeah. you want to follow it up? I'm sorry. That was a little awkward. No, no. I mean, I just, in, in rumbling around with it, you know, you asked like, what is the bad news? If Like, if this is the good news, what is the bad news? And um I just thought about, you know, the bad news is that I'm not God. And the good news is that I'm not God. <laughs> I was going to say, that sounds like good news to me. I like you, but I don't know if I want you as ruler of the universe. Yeah. Right. But, but, you know, my humanity, my ego, my um, sort of I being kind of would like to be God sometimes <laughs> or acts like it. Right. Um, that's what idolatry is. That's a big, and, and, and that's what, 
we need liberation from both individually and communally. Mm -hmm. So Ashley, you said something earlier, which I loved. I wrote down, you said, you were talking about the way and all this stuff. And you said, Jesus Christ is Lord. So this is a phrase that Christians throw around all the time. Um, we always, t people talk about Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Is Jesus your Lord and Savior? We also joke about, do you know Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior? Lord and Savior get thrown around a lot. And in the first part of this podcast, we talked about what does it mean for him to be your Savior? I think we all kind of probably mostly agree that Jesus saved us in his work on the cross uh, once for all, right? But what does it mean for him to be our Lord? That's a term we don't really use in 2020. Like, I don't refer to anybody as my personal Lord. What does that mean? What does him being Lord of our lives look like? Well, especially in the context of scripture, it's, it's a political title. Okay. Right? So to say that Jesus is Lord is to say that Caesar is not. Okay. Right? Because that's who would have had that title. Um, and the system of patronage where you, you know, it's a tally keeping business of working your way up the ladder um, for, the, for the sake of empire, that that is dismantled. Um, so to say that it, it's, a, it's a claim of allegiance, right? It, it is a pledge of allegiance to mm -hmm. say that Jesus Christ is Lord. So it, it is equivalent to saying in our context that Jesus is president that Jesus is right. That that I ultimately acknowledge, or I, I look to Jesus as sort of the ultimate authority over the world and my life and um, and so, our well being. And Evan, you would agree with that, right? That you look to Jesus as the ultimate authority mm -hmm. of your life. Sure. So then, yeah, we, what, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, we, we, we would, we live for Christ and we live for Christ alone. I mean, and so then in every vocation of your life, your marriage, your, your, as a parent, as a neighbor, as a, as an employee, as a citizen, in all those vocations of your life, you say, well, what does it mean that Christ is my Lord? It does influence how I vote. It does influence how I, um, now, you know, then again, we still have disagreements though about like application. And so, I mean, when I was in seminary, because, you know, I went to, I went to an ELCA seminary, which is, I mean, I think that would be, the, it would be mostly the same at most of the more liberal mainline, you know, churches, you know, these days, mostly United Methodist, Episcopalian, PCUSA, et cetera. Um, what, what I heard and what irritated me was that, uh, that often the gospel was, was reduced to one set of ideas that that not agreeing with puts your puts your spirituality at great risk and your your truth claims at great risk. If you weren't an eco warrior, you didn't you, you didn't love Christ. You know, uh, if you if you had a different understanding other than a full you know um, appreciation for LGBT, et cetera, et cetera. Nope, nope, nope. Christ says this is you know this this is the right way. Um, you know, I was there during the Iraq War. Uh, not that. Christ is a, a warmonger, of course, uh, but that was an, an issue of debate. Abortion, um, another, I mean, you know, there's just, there's so many. And so how is it that we can agree that Christ is Lord? How is it that we can agree that we know who Christ is? Mm -hmm. And yet we have, you know, Christians come to the scripture and we walk away with these very, you know, different interpretations. And the only answer I can give is that we're looking at the same Bible, but we end up going, you know, there's, 
you know, I, I don't know. I mean, there's just different ways of interpreting it, like, like I said before, so. Ashley, do you want to respond to that? Because it kind of makes it sound like being a Christian, I mean, that it looks different for different people, but it can only be one thing, right? I mean, discount. I mean, I, I think it, it looks at the hard question of like, is there a line in the sand? Right. And where is it? And how do you draw it? Um, you know, I, I, I'd agree, like, you don't have to be an eco-warrior. Everyone is not called to the same work and the same task at the same time. We know what God says of creation and mm -hmm. our and our call to care for it. And so if you're actively not caring for it, how can you also say you're walking in step with God? Mm -hmm. Right. So, so I, I think there are things that we can say like, that's, that is not what I understand God to be. Um, and if we are to follow God, a thing that we can be doing or, or um, blessing or staying silent on. Do you, would you say that there's a cost to saying yes to Jesus, to following Jesus? Is this where Evan and I both pull out our cost of discipleship Bonhoeffer books? I was going for a little more simple than that, but sure. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's like the quintessential like training and like, yeah. Yeah. If you're following the way of Christ, I mean, it leads to a charge of treason and execution. Right? Like there's, like there's, yeah. there's no, uh, you know, if, if you're doing the revolutionary way of love, you're going to lose friends and family. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's the whole reason Paul is, is writing to people saying, you know, now you're family to each other mm -hmm. because your families have disowned you. Um, so here's, what's interesting to me about that question is, you know, there's no doubt that there'll be a cost. Jesus makes that clear. Today, conservatives and liberals both feel like they're the ones suffering the cost, right? Mm -hmm. So let's say a conservative is out there going, hey, I'm the one defending traditional marriage and all the judges and the Supreme Court now and the laws are moving against me. I'm, I'm a victim of, you know, the culture change because I'm not willing to make Hollywood happy or the Academy happy or the judicial, you know, the courts happy, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Liberals feel like they are, I, I don't want to speak for them per se, but I think it's safe to say, you know, they feel like they're the minority and they're fighting against, you know, and this is, it ends up being represented in Trump. Uh, you know, they're fighting these, these forces that have been in power for all of these centuries. And now they're trying to get power back, you know, to the people or, or something to that effect. So we both feel like we're losing, uh, which is technically impossible, I think. Um, and, um, and so we both think that we're paying the cost for following Christ. So I think it always comes back to then again, like, how do you know which one is right? They're, let's say they're both suffering in different ways. The, both of these camps are suffering. Well, which one is suffering for the right cause? How would you know? And well, so and not all suffering is the cost of following Christ. People suffer right. for their own stupid decisions all the time. Right. Yeah, just right. because people are pissed at you doesn't make you a martyr. Right. right. Uh, Agree completely. So, yeah. Um, but it, it's, so it, it, it's, it's like there are people though that basically say, well, I know the rightness of my cause is, is right because I'm suffering for it. Yeah. You know, it's well, funny that both of you went to this idea of persecution, which I think is definitely preached in the Bible. But I was thinking just the simplicity of the cost of following Jesus is your life. You're not in charge of your life anymore. You're not Lord. Like Ashley was saying, you're not God. You're not Lord. 
like Evan was saying in the garden when they said, we want you to walk alongside us, not be in charge of us. So the cost is everything, not just when you feel it in terms of persecution, but dying to yourself, um, putting yourself second, which is just anathema to us to think about. Okay, so let's, let's talk about, and this will sort of segue into when we come back for the next podcast about where we're going to talk about cults and where things have gone way too far off the rails. But what would it be like, how far would you have to go outside of what we've been talking about to not yet or not still be a Christian or maybe never were? Like, how would, what would you look at in someone and be like, oh, yikes, that's too far. They don't get it. They don't understand it. They've interpreted the Bible so poorly that they're now not a Christian. Maybe we can work backwards from that to see what real Christianity is. Yeah. I'll, I'll go first because I don't want it to look like I'm always putting Ashley on the spot or anything like that. But so, yeah, I mean, historically the creeds, actually, I do think, I mean, Ashley said something about, you know, different from intellectual arguments. Well, I think those are actually very important because ultimately the creeds, especially the Nicene Creed, God from God, light from light, true God from true God. I mean, those are very important formulations. I mean, and I know you would agree in understanding who Christ is and who Christ is means that's who the, what the gospel is because it's the nature of Christ that affects the gospel. Uh, so, um, so I do think that they're they're important. And generally speaking, and it's Holy Trinity Sunday on Sunday, we'll be seeing the Athanasian Creed on Sunday. I think the creeds are very important. They act as a boundary and a bookmark for um, for what authentic or orthodox Christianity is. However, um, how is it that Lutherans and, and Roman Catholics are both creedal Christians, and yet we fundamentally disagree, I would argue, about the nature of the gospel? Mm-hmm. Well, it must be that something within that creed is where we disagree. And I've thought about this a lot. I've looked at the Apostles' Creed, and I've gone, well, which line is it? Well, I think it's in the, in the third article, you know, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins. That's what we disagree about. We disagree mm-hmm. about the way in which sins are forgiven. So the creed is, you know, it's, it's important, it's good, but it's not like all creedal Christians worship the same God. Yeah. I, would, I could say that if to, to be so bold. So it's, it's a good starting point, but at the end of the day, it's about a consistent hermeneutical approach, a consistent exegetical understanding of the scripture from beginning to end. And seeing, you know, and, and what you want to do, I think, that, I think the way we would want to approach it is that we would want everything in the Bible to be lifted up as equally valuable, equally valid, and only exclude those things that must be excluded and that we're told to be excluded, starting with, say, the ceremonial sacrificial law of the temple. That would be the easiest thing. Um, or other things connected to the land of Israel that no longer applies because we are Israel those sorts of things. That's what I am, what I mean when I talk about whole, whole counsel of God. Ashley, before you answer, when uh, I'm, I'm giving a sneak preview to the next podcast, but when we asked what sort of defines what we consider modern day cults, uh, James Walker said something like a group that claims to be Christian, but has walked so far away from the essentials of the Christian faith. And he gave a couple of examples. You mentioned one earlier, Trinitarian, uh, theology, but what else would be sort of in those like essentials where it's like, if you're away from that, ugh, it's, we, you have a problem. I mean, so how, yeah. How would you answer this question? How far is too far? I mean, I, it's such an interesting question today, right? Yeah. Because it's exactly the conversation we're seeing happen online about Donald Trump, right? Mm-hmm. Like just, 
we can't dance around them. And um, so I think what people would say, right, is like, if you are acting in a way that begets violence mm-hmm. and um, dehumanizes and um, builds up your own pride over, you know, the sake of the whole, the sake of the body. I mean, I think those are things that are antithetical to the way of Christ. Um, But as far as teaching goes, I'm I'm far more affected by people's teaching with their actions and with their words. And in terms of like, right, how to, what's too far or or what aligns or what doesn't align, you know, I can, I can tell my kid not to yell all day, but when I yell, yeah. What am I actually teaching, right? Um, and and so to teach in ways, to model ways that are not generous and that are not merciful or graceful or um, th- those would be anti-Christian. Mm-hmm. And, and like I said before, that doesn't mean that like, we're all screwed right like yeah um you know but to have as your locus that drawback to the center which is christ i I think is what keeps us continuing in christian faith and not just be like oh well they're they messed up too bad they're out let me let me i'm winding can i I jump can i just jump in super fast i'm sorry just like as an example um, this was something that made the rounds a, a few years ago. Was George Whitfield a Christian? What do you mean, George Whitfield? He was like the greatest, like, you know, first, whatever, the uh, Great Awakening preacher, right? I mean, preached to 10,000 people at a time. The most revered, you know, American evangelist, like of the 1700s or what have you, um, slave owner. Hmm. So what do we do with someone like that? Creedal, Orthodox, brought many thousands to Christ. I think he, if, if my memory is correct, he ran a huge orphanage, Christian ministry, and slaves worked it. I don't know how well they were treated. I don't know if that matters. Um, and so I think that the question is actually, I mean, assuming, you know, we're not talking about like Mormons, which add doctrine, which sure. add sacred teachings, which, you know, have megalomaniac, maniacal, you know, leaders who are, you know, something like that. I think it's actually a, a, a re- it gets to be a very difficult question, even if we look into our own hearts, right? You know, it's like, well, I, I confess that I love Christ and that He's my Lord, and yet I did this or I thought that, um, or I'm part of a systemic problem, you know, that that sort of thing. And I think that is an issue we're dealing with now because, yeah. and we're going to be talking about this on our upcoming racism episodes, which is what are the limits of systemic racism? Or Am I participating in that? Everyone says I am, but I don't think so. Is my witness to Christ compromised if I don't agree with them that I am? It gets really complicated. So, yeah. Let me end us on an uncomplicated note because the time is quickly running out. I want to be able to say to somebody listening that thinks, oh, crap, this all just got more complicated than I thought about, you know, Christianity. I want to tell you that these are three people that have really just been stewing on this for a long time, but that there is a very simple, good, message, which is that we had a problem. 
and that Jesus gives us a way to not have that problem anymore. Um, and so I just want to end by quickly, and I mean 30 seconds, what's the upside for you guys about being a Christian? Like, why should people say yes to Jesus? I'm serious about 30 seconds. I'll, I'll go. I'll go. Go ahead. Living, living in accordance with God's will brings you peace and it builds the best possible world. That's really good. I like yeah. that. That was good. It was under 30 seconds. Okay, Ashley, anything to add or I can, I can say something. Yeah, I don't know about peace, <laughs> if it's brought me much peace. Hmm. Um, but I, my experience has been that when all else fails and the bottom drops out, the love of God meets me there. Okay. I want to say so many more things, but we have a lot of time. So you can find us on facebook.com slash theology on tap Houston. Uh, you can search for the hashtags Houston TOT or hashtag theology on air. Um, and we will be back in another week to talk more about all this kind of stuff. So, uh, but until then, of course, we encourage you to question freely, think deeply and disagree as needed.